Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're in a series that we've entitled from the book of Acts called Power Today. We're learning some incredible things. We're watching God move as a result. You heard the story of the college student praying for somebody. And honestly, we are seeing God do things every single day. He is using people to uh, declare his glory, to pray for the sick, see people healed to see people come to know Christ. We come to Acts chapter four and verses 14 through 22 to a message that I've entitled The Christian and Civil Disobedience. We live in a society that has become more and more polarized as people have become increasingly intolerant of any opinion that's different to their own. And that intolerance spans a variety of topics from politics to health to race to guns to climate, sexuality, morality. It seems as if almost any topic is worth a fight. And we certainly can expect that from an unregenerate or unsaved world. But at times that polarization affects families affects friends, can affect people within the church. And the tragedy in that is it affects our testimony for Christ. It affects our witness to the world for Jesus. That's why these verses from Acts chapter 4 are so incredibly relevant for us today. Now, before we look at it, let me just set the stage. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John going up to the temple at the time of prayer, the hour of prayer to, to pray. And as they're going up there, they go through a gate. There is a man who has been lame since birth. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 that he was over 40 years old. For 40 years, he's never walked. He's begging for alms. He's asking the worshipers to give money, benevolence money, so that he can support himself, which certainly would have been done in that day. And Peter and John look at him, and as he's expecting to receive some coin from them, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Then what happens? Because I think this is very notable. The man doesn't rise up and walk until Peter grabs his hand and pulls him up. Sometimes it requires an exercise of faith. He gets up, he pulls him up immediately. The the bones in his legs are strengthened, but not just that, all of the things that goes into balance and equilibrium that we see in a toddler who is learning to walk, this man is having to experience that, but miraculously has the ability to not only walk, but to jump and to leap and all kinds of things. And in response to that, a crowd gathers, they can't believe it. And Peter preaches a very straight up, straightforward message, declaring the gospel. And the Bible says 5,000 men were saved, aside from women. So it's an amazing response. And immediately, the Jewish authorities arrest Peter and John. They put them in jail. They keep them overnight. And the next day, Acts chapter 5 and verse 5, the rulers, the elders, 
and the scribes, the rulers, who are those? Those are the high priests, and, and there'd be more, there'd be one chief priest, but there'd be several who would be a part of the priestly class. They're gathering, there are the rulers, there are the elders, these are the people who represent the different tribal uh, groups within the nation of Israel. And then there are the scribes. They are the interpreters of the law. This gathering is known in the Bible as the Sanhedrin, the 70 plus one. It is, it is we could think of it this way. As it would be like Israel's Supreme Court. And they question Peter and John. They don't believe in the resurrection. They didn't like Jesus. This is the very group that had asked Pilate to have Jesus killed. They want to stop the name of Jesus. They want to stop the gospel. They want to stop teaching about the resurrection. They want to stop miracles. And Peter and John give them a very well-reasoned answer. Imagine this. They're common, uneducated men, and they are standing before the judiciary of the nation. The people who just a few weeks before wanted to kill Jesus and asked Pilate to do it. The people who could have them killed, the people who could have them in prison, could have them beaten. And Peter and John, they give a bold, they give an intelligent, they give a clear response. And the Sanhedrin are shocked, they are stunned. Let's pick it up in verse 13, Acts chapter four. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They couldn't believe that people without an education, they couldn't believe people that were not from the ruling class could, could be so bold, could be so clear, could be so well-versed theologically. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them, to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Listen, let me just say, this is why signs and wonders are necessary. Because people can't deny the healing power of Jesus. That story we told you. Those two guys, forever, they will know there is a God in heaven, his name is Jesus, and he heals people, they'll know it. You can't deny it. It's so interesting, as they're standing there with, giving their testimony, that man who's been healed is right beside them. There's nothing they can say. They can't say, it's not true, it doesn't work, you don't know what you're talking about. No, the proof is right there. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. That's the name of Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the men on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 
40 years old. I want us to look especially at verses 17 through 20, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. What they're saying is, you cannot preach the gospel. We're commanding you, don't you talk about Jesus? Don't you say anything about Jesus? Don't you preach salvation in Jesus' name? Don't you heal anybody? Don't you do that? Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They said, we can't follow your civil authority. You're asking us to do something that not to do something that God has commanded us to do. Remember Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Peter and John said, listen, when you start asking us to do something that the Bible, when you start asking us not to do something that the Bible says we're to do, we cannot follow you. So what I want to do is I want to give you four principles relative to the Christian and civil disobedience. I don't know whether you followed the events of last week. It was interesting on Sunday afternoon in the news, there was a story of what's happening in Canada and the messages that are are now going to be, if you preach them, you'll be put in prison for up to five years. The message I preached two weeks ago would put me in prison for five years. Things are changing rapidly in our Western society. They're changing rapidly in Canada to the north. You can see the precursors of those kinds of things and thinking and laws and ideologies permeating American society. There will come a day when Christians will have to make a choice. But until then, and even in all of that, We have to be very, very careful how we respond to civil authority. We've seen a lot of things happen in the middle of a pandemic where people have chosen to take stances at times in defiance to civil authority. And we have to to go back and say, what does the Bible say about these things because the Bible does say things. So let me just give you four principles on the Christian and civil disobedience. Number one, as Christians, we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. That's what we are. We're not not first and foremost Americans. Hey, I love being an American, but I'm not first and foremost an American. I am first and foremost a citizen of heaven and Jesus is my king. So wherever you're watching from, we're not primarily Americans or Canadians or Cubans or Colombians or Russians or Chinese or Indians. As Christians, we are citizens of heaven. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our country. It will be for all eternity. And Jesus will be our king. And he will rule and he will reign. 
This calls us to consider where should our primary allegiance go? Sometimes, unfortunately, what happens in Western civilization and especially in American culture is this ideology of independence where I do what I want because bless God, I'm an American. Listen, that has to fall under submission to Christ. That's not primary, that's secondary. That's not necessarily wrong. It just has to be first processed through the lens of what the Bible says. Because we're citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter three. But we are citizens of heaven, Paul writing to the Philippians. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. He's going to rule and reign. He's King Jesus and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Paul has already said in Philippians 2. So our allegiance is primarily to King Jesus. That means that we listen to him we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? And we follow him. As Christians, we're citizens of heaven, first and foremost. Number two, as Christians, we are to submit to governmental authority. Romans chapter 13 and verse one says this, and what's interesting, we don't have to stay in one passage. We can go throughout the New Testament. This is a very big, big concept in the apostle's mind. Keep in mind, this is written when secular rulers could not have been worse. This is written when Nero is reigning. Who's Nero? He's one of the worst of the Roman emperors. He killed his mother, killed his wives, killed friends, killed lovers. Then he wanted to rebuild Rome, so he had Rome burned and he blamed it on the Christians and then in a wholesale way massacred Christians in some of the most violent ways people could be killed in all of history. He was a maniac. He was a psychopath. And Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So whoever your, your nemesis is in government, they're certainly not worse than Nero. You say, well, I'd like to argue that with you. Well, <laughs> having fun with you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been, did you see this? instituted, established, allowed to reign by God's power. The word for be subject to, in the Greek, it's the word hupotasso. It's a military word that means to line up under the command of. In other words, it's like you're a soldier in the army and and there's people that have rank over you. And so what they tell you to do, you would do. In that same way, we line up under the authority under the command of those who are over us. 
Here's what I find so striking in this passage is there's no qualifier, there's no caveat. It doesn't say if they're good or if they're bad, don't. It doesn't say if you voted for them or you didn't vote for them. It doesn't say if you agree with them or you don't agree with them. It doesn't say if they're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ. It's very interesting. The text makes absolutely no distinction between good authorities, bad ones, moral ones, or immoral ones. They could be a Democrat or they could be a dictator. They could be a communist or they could be a king. They could be a Republican or they could be a revolutionary. We submit, we're subject. Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter three, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. We're, you say, I don't like what they're doing. I don't think it's right. If it's not violating a biblical principle, we submit. I mean, they should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. First Peter chapter two, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to the governors. I mean, we're talking about people like Pilate. We're talking about people like Felix and Festus who are bribed, who are, who are rotten to the core. Violent emperors, submit yourselves. Why? For the Lord's sake. Listen, not just for your sake, though there is a value to us as we're gonna see in a moment, but it's for the Lord's sake. It's because of Jesus. It's because our testimony. It's because of his purposes that are carried out through our submission, which really is a strength under control. In verse 17, Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, Honor the king. Back to Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. You say, well, is there ever an exception where I'm not subject to them? The Bible does give us some exceptions. You remember in Exodus chapter 1 that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the Israelites were multiplying in the land and he wanted to slow the population growth. So he said, I'm commanding you to take all of your male infants and you're to kill them. And Moses' parents didn't do that. They correctly valued life and understood that we're to preserve life, not take life. And if the government tells us to take life, then we're not gonna follow that. We honor life because people are made in the image of God and that, that merits a dignity and a respect and a value. Another example would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter three, where the king sets up an idol and says, when I strike up the band, when the instruments start playing, everybody is to bow down to this idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not doing that. We're not worshiping you. We're worshiping God. And when somebody asks you to worship them, that is a violation of scripture. You don't have to do that. Another example would be Daniel chapter six, where 
people who hate Daniel get the king to make a decree because they know, hey, if we're going to trap Daniel, we're going to have to find something about his religion that's going to get him in trouble. And the man prays three times a day. So let's just get the king to make a law. Nobody can pray to anyone but to him for the next 30 days. We know Daniel will pray, we'll catch him, and we'll get rid of him. It's exactly what happened. What did Daniel do? Daniel knew the decree, but as always, Daniel said, I'm going to pray. He violated the king's command to honor God. It's a, it was a spiritual service he was offering to God. So there are times when you can disobey. In Peter and John's case, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 18, they called them in and commended them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John replied, for judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Now, there are, we can, as a general rule, say there are two times when we can disobey government. The first time is when the government commands us to do what God forbids. So if God says, you can't do this, and the government says, you have to do this, then at that point, we can disobey the government. Second, when the government forbids us to do what God commands, and that's the case with Peter and John. They were forbidden to talk about Jesus, and God has commanded them to talk about Jesus. There are a host of other scenarios that we could come up with. I think one of the primary ones would be where parents might say, but what if the school is dictating certain learning for my child? Listen, I'm gonna tell you, the school is not in charge of your child's education. You as a parent are. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to put our educators down. We've got a, a church full of people who serve in administration and in education, and I thank God for them. Yeah, that'd be a good place to kill a clap, that's for sure. <laughs> but as parents, we're responsible for the things that fill our children's hearts and minds. We're responsible to put into them the things that will produce in them a godliness and a Christ-likeness that they might know the blessing of God, not just as children, but as adults, and they might bring that blessing to their generation. That may mean that there are times that we, with respect, with honor, with graciousness, with kindness, say, we're not going to be able to participate in that way. Are you with me? So again, the issue is, does it have spiritual ramifications, and nothing has more spiritual ramifications than the development and discipleship of your children. I'm going to tell you that. If it doesn't fall in either of those categories, you say, what if, what if it doesn't fall in any of those categories? What if I just fill in my heart? I, I just don't feel I can do it. Then what you fill in your heart is wrong. You say, well, my conscience People want to play the conscience card. Then I would say you have an untrained conscience. The conscience is not infallible, and your conscience, I'm not telling people to go violate their conscience, but we have to be careful because there are people I know who have a hyperactive conscience that leads to self-condemnation. You can't have the, encourage them to listen to their conscience all the time. You have other people who have a biblically untrained conscience. 
In other words, they have not processed adequately the word of God to inform their conscience for it to be activated in guiding them in righteousness. So if you were to tell me, well, you know, John, I just feel in my heart that God has told me, he's told me to do this or this, whatever it is, it doesn't have any spiritual ramifications other than you're saying God told you. Let me just remind you, God will never ask you to violate his word. So you have to conclude in that instance, you're not hearing from God correctly. Now, now listen, people draw this, God told me like a gun. God told me he wants me to be happy, so I'm leaving my wife. God told me this, God told me that. God, God gets blamed for a lot of things he never had one thing to do with. Here's, when it comes, when it comes to hearing from God, all of us, starting with me, need to operate on this principle. The first rule of spiritual living is this, you might be wrong. Listen, David, when he's at Ziklag and he's, he's going to go follow the people who burned his village and took his family captive and took all of his stuff, and he, he says, God, shall I pursue them? Yes. Well, I capture everything. Yes. God, are you sure? Is this really? When you read through the last part of 1 Samuel, you see David constantly checking himself because it's not enough just, well, I heard from God. This is where you have to have People, and, and I, don't, I don't think it's good for people to confine their counsel to their family. I mean, I do believe in Debbie and I being in agreement. I do believe in Debbie and I talking about things spiritually, but if it's a big decision and it's a, a decision that has weight and ramifications to it, I'm going to talk to spiritual authority. Yeah. Believing they have the best, they have the best intended for me. I'm, I'm going to talk to people that, that I know know the Lord. But I'm telling you, if somebody tells you that God has told them to do something that goes against Scripture, you can clearly tell them, He did not tell you to do that. Well, number three. As Christians, we understand God has established authority. So we submit to authority because in the end, all authority is his authority. Right. You say, well, how do you know that? Jesus said this. I don't have it on the screen. I, should, I probably should have. Jesus said this. Great commission starts with these words. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me, not me, him, Jesus, right? <laughs> he has all authority. It's all his and someday he's going to prove that when he returns and everything will be put under his feet and he'll hand it to God the Father and God will be all in all in the words of 1 Corinthians 15. It's all his authority. It's just on loan to different people, but it's his authority. So when he has delegated authority and we don't respect that authority, then what we're doing is we're not respecting God. This is Paul's argument. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All authority comes from God. That's why we respect those in authority. 
That's true whether it's a governmental leader, a manager in your company, a teacher, a parent. God has established authority for the sake of order. He is a God of order. And if no one was in charge, what would we have? We would have absolute anarchy. Look at it, Romans chapter 13. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, that can be a very hard statement to understand. Because immediately the question comes up, so you're saying that dictators, communists, and oppressive governments are ordained by God. I didn't say that, the Bible did. You say, I don't agree with that. That, Then you're you're in a bad place. Let God be true and every man a liar. Either this book's true or it's not. If we start picking and choosing and we start saying, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm take, tear that out of my Bible. You'll pretty soon have a Bible like Thomas Jefferson's that had no miracles, no resurrection, that really isn't the Bible at all. There's no tyrant. Here's the way to think about this. There's no tyrant who ever seized power without God allowing him to. But listen to this. God allowed it. He's sovereign. He is sovereign. He's sovereign. He's in charge. You say, well, I don't understand that, and I don't agree with that. You have to be careful. There's a lot of things you don't understand, but I can promise you this. One second in heaven, you will have the answer to every question you had. And when you understand, you will say, he does all things well. And you will find that God did not do anything that you would not have done if you had known what he knew. He's too wise to make a mistake, and he's too kind to be cruel. And at the juncture where you and I can't understand some things, that's where faith kicks in. Where you say, you know, I can't understand everything. If you could understand everything, you'd be God, which would be really a mess. (laughs) But we can't understand everything because we we do not have his capacity or his perspective or his nature. Now, let me add this, because this will help you. While all government is of God, it does not mean that the cruelty of some governments is a reflection of his will or his intent. Further, let me say this, that often in the Bible, God gave nations the leaders they deserved. I think we're seeing that in our own contemporary situation. Without making any, I'm just saying, the leaders of our society are a reflection of the society. How can that be true? Because the society elected them. And that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean I'm disrespecting anybody. I'm just saying the society, the leaders are a reflection of the society. That's true in any any civilized country. The leaders are a reflection of that society. 
The church, you could say this, is ordained by God, but that doesn't mean that when you have an apostate church or you have evil leadership in the church, God wanted it that way. God ordained the institution, but not necessarily the practices of those institutions. And again, this is written when Nero's reigning. So rather than saying, well, until I can figure it all out, or I can't accept, I can't accept the idea that, that God allows cruel authorities, therefore I'm not going to come under civil authority, you have set yourself squarely against the Word of God. And as you'll see later in this passage, that works against God's hand of blessing on your life. Clearly it does. Romans 13, verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. When a Christian rebels against authority, what are you, who are you really rebelling against? You're rebelling against God. Because God's authority has been delegated to government for our good. Look at it, verse four, it says that. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. So that when you rebel against authority, what happens is you're not only rebelling against God's word, but I want you to think about this. You're cutting yourself off from a tool that God has established to bring blessing in your life. When you rebel against authority, you are literally positioning yourself to rebel against God's blessing in your life. Because it's as we obey the word, and we follow the word that we are blessed, right? This is why the stakes are much higher than, well, I don't think, or I'll believe, or this or that. Listen, I think we have to be really careful what we do and how we speak. Let me give you one last one, then we'll close. I realize this is not gonna be the most popular message I've ever preached, but, but I do think it's something we have to hear and we have to think about because the divisiveness of our day has caused Christians to be reflectors of what's happening in the world, and this should not be. We should be different. We should speak different, we should think different, we should act different. We, we become really, in many respects, the voice of reason. The difference between the revolution in England and the revolution in France really came down to the presence of Christians. You can go back and look at the history of that. Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, and some of these people who, who, who influenced Parliament kept it from becoming a bloody revolution because though they had the same grievances against the monarchy and the nobility in that day, they, they processed them with an honor and with a respect that was characterized by a biblical understanding of authority. I just threw that in, so. As Christians, we respect those in positions of authority. First Peter, for the Lord's sake, respect all human authority. All of it. Not just the people you voted for, not just the people you like, not just the people you agree with, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. And would you notice the first part of that verse, for the Lord's sake. When we're doing it, we're doing it unto him. We're doing it to honor him. We're honoring his word. We're honoring who he is. When you honor God, God will honor you. That's how that works. 
When you submit to authorities, God says, listen, they're following my word. Even though it's hard, even though they don't understand, I'm going to work in their life. But you're doing it for the Lord's sake, for the sake of his word, for the sake of his testimony, for the sake of his purpose. In other words, this isn't just a civics lesson about being a a good citizen or being a good person. It has everything to do with our walk with the Lord. Let me just give you some ways, just four ways quickly, and we'll, we'll wrap this up, that we honor God by showing respect to those in authority. Number one, we honor God when we honor those who serve in government. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So the taxes, your income tax, your property tax, your sales tax, all the taxes that you can think of, fees, you know, your permit fees, your license fees, all the different things that would be a part of that. Do that. You say, what's the difference between respect and honor? Uh, Some have said that you respect the office and you honor the person by treating them with dignity. Now, here's where it gets a a bit difficult because honestly, there are some people who have agendas in government that are demonically driven. I, I think we all have to accept that there's a huge spiritual battle happening in the halls of every capital in the world and every state in our country and in the city halls of our cities. There's a spiritual battle. There, is, there are forces of good and evil at work. That doesn't mean that everybody who is representing an agenda that has demonic undertones is demonized or given over to the enemy. Many times it's, it's unknowing. But what we do is we have a responsibility to treat them with dignity because they too were made in the image of God. They're a human being. We respect humanity because no other being was made. No other living thing on earth was made in God's image. So there's an, there's an honor that extends to them. And then there's a respect for the office. When Harry Truman stepped down from the presidency and Dwight D. Eisenhower was to take the presidency, Harry Truman said this to Dwight Eisenhower. Just remember when they're playing hail to the chief, they're not playing it for you. That's good advice. They're playing it for the office of the president. They're not playing it for Dwight Eisenhower or any other. They're playing it for the office. It's the office of the, they're, they're the president. That's the song that's played when the president comes in. This is not a lot different than what Aristotle said. Only a fool takes unto himself the honor accorded his office, right? I mean, I realize this. As pastor of James River, there are places and times and ways in which I am honored and I am being incredibly foolish if I, if I think it's because I'm such a great guy and so wonderful. There are things that are done for me, doors that are opened to me that are because of an honor for the office of the pastor of James River Church, whoever that is. So we can respect the office 
and we can honor the person because they're human, because God loves them, because God would want to, them to know him. Well, number two, we honor God when we obey the law. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. Listen, a patrolman stops you, you're speeding. You deserved it. I mean, straight up, you deserved it. Tell you something funny. Um, my brother was coming to see me this a couple years ago. He was coming to see me and um, my brother drives everywhere fast. I mean, it's just, it's Colorado open spaces, he drives everywhere fast. I don't know how many tickets he's had, but it's gotta be a bazillion. Um, so he's flying through the Bolivar area. And you know, when you're on Highway 13, you know. You know, I can tell you how many patrolmen, I count the patrolmen as I'm going across Kansas, not because, but I just count, I know where they're at. I've driven the road enough, I know how that works. So he goes flying through and a highway patrolman pulls him over. And he asks for his license. And he looks at it, and the patrolman told me this later. He was like, oh, Jesus, help me. This looks like pastor's brother. <laughs> I talked to him, my brother never told me he got the ticket. The patrolman told me later about the ticket. And uh, I said, you know what? He deserved it. <laughs> Exercise your freedom by serving God, not breaking the rules. Number three. We honor God when we talk respectfully about leaders. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. Let's read that again. To malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration, every consideration for all men, all people. You say, you know what? I don't like them. I don't agree with them. I didn't vote for them. We respect the office and we don't malign them. People say, he's not my president. I hear that at times. If you're an American, he's your president. So whoever you're, and it goes back and forth, so we go both sides of the spectrum. This is not a political speech. Listen, if you're a Democrat, you're saying, he's my president. And the Republicans are saying, oh, he's my president. You know, or they're saying, he's not my president. Listen, don't make ignorant statements like he's not my president. If you're an American, he's your president. Don't discredit your own intelligence by saying, he's not my president. You know, that, that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help you. It only embitters you towards, and I think when bitterness builds up, anger will be the action, and it will discredit the gospel, and it will get you into trouble. I'm not saying you can't disagree or even vote them out of office, but we can disagree without being dishonoring. You know, I could go through and name different person personalities in government. People would have different responses, but the, the problem is when we start maligning people and and you know, this is where I think um, the media has done a, a horrible disservice to our country. I don't care whether it's CNN or Fox, I don't care which one you listen to, it's disgusting. 
because you have these people throwing rocks and saying nasty, nasty things, cutting people off, arguing. It's a terrible example. And it works people up. And it makes people angry and makes, and it's entertainment. Remember this, it's entertainment. If you thought they were giving you the news, you're wrong. It's entertainment. Number four, we honor God when we pray for those in authority. That's how, that's how we honor God. First Timothy. Chapter two, verse one, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Pray what way? Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Oh God, save them. They obviously don't know you or they would not be doing what they're doing. That's, if you disagree with what they're doing and you feel like it's unchristian what they're doing, intercede for their soul. Give thanks for them. Listen, governmental service, there's a ministry of service in government. It's not easy, even if you disagree with somebody. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's brutal. Pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. He wants, he wants these people to be saved and to understand the truth. And you know what, as we pray, as we pray, things happen. I mean, if we believe prayer changes things, then if we'll pray, things will be changed. Pray for them to be saved. Pray for them to have wisdom. Pray for God to protect them. Pray for their strength. Pray for their families. Pray for their marriages. Pray for them to have discernment. Pray that God would send laborers into the harvest field of their life who would share Christ with them. The Billy Graham Association has a prayer guide, and I just right there is the, the um, uh, web address for this, but I'm just showing you a couple aspects of it, but then it's got a, a way for you to pray for people in authority. I would encourage you to do this. It'd be good to, to take uh, one of your prayer times and say, I'm gonna pray for people in authority because when we do those things, it pleases God. It results in us living in peace. And so what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to put into practice what we just talked about, and I'd like us to pray for our leaders. So I, would you stand right now across the auditorium? We're gonna pray for our president, our vice president. We're gonna pray for our Supreme Court justices. We're gonna pray for our senators and our Congress people. We're gonna pray for our governor. We're gonna pray for those in the legislature who are serving often at, at you know, uh, a diminished income for them because they're away from their business. But I'd like us, would you now, I'm asking you to think of somebody, a senator, a Congress person, a Supreme Court justice, president, vice president, governor, would you, would you right now, and, and maybe I know we've got county officials that are a part of the church, so maybe you're standing next to a county official or, or in, you know somebody that's in a position of authority, maybe a mayor or whatever, um, but would you right now 
Would you just, you know what the Bible says? Lift up hands and pray. Lift up hands and pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we just put into practice 1 Timothy chapter 2. Lord, that as a priority, we would pray for everyone and especially kings and, and those in authority, rulers. And so today, God, I lift up our president, Joe Biden, his vice president, Kamala Harris. I ask you, Lord, to set your hand upon them. Father, I don't know who is around them to influence their decisions, but I pray you'd put believers near them who can speak truth and love, who can bring encouragement to them, can pray with them. God, I pray that they would have a, a great desire to know your wisdom that you would place. You, you speak to people. The Bible says uh, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he directs it like a water course wherever he will. And so God, I know you can direct our national leaders to do, to accomplish your will and your purpose. I pray you would do that. I pray that Father, you would work in ways that would bring about uh, decisions that would coincide with your purpose, your will, that would do good to this country, to the people of this country. Father, I pray that those who don't know you would find you as their Lord and Savior. I don't know, I don't know the condition of their soul, but you know full well. And we pray that they would come to know you as, as Lord and Savior if they don't already. We pray, oh God, for our Supreme Court justices. Lord, as they adjudicate all the different situations in the land, many of them having life and death, uh, results, God, I pray that you would give them divine wisdom. I pray, oh God, that you would speak to them at night when they're lying down. Lord, may you, may they encounter you and encounter your presence. When they get up in the morning, I pray, oh God, that they would, they, their heart would be touched by you. Lord, you know what it will take in each of their lives for that to happen. And God, we pray that you would do it. We ask, oh God, that you would touch them. We ask that you would give them wisdom. We ask that you would cause them to rule rightly and righteously. Father, we lift up our senators and our Congress people to you, Lord. You know the decisions they face. You know the gridlock and all the problems in Washington, D.C. But I pray, oh God, that Lord, those who know you would shine like stars. I pray those who know you would be strengthened by the power of your Holy Spirit. That, oh Father, you would set your hand upon them. That you would give them divine favor, divine wisdom. Oh God, discernment to know what to do and what not to do, what to say and what not to say. Oh God, I pray that you would go before them. Oh Lord, make them effective for you and for your glory and for the good of our land. Father, I pray as well for our governor. I pray you would touch he and his wife today, wherever they're at, whatever they're doing, if they're worshiping today. Oh God, may your presence be very real to them, I ask. Father, we pray as well for the others serving in state government, that your hand would be upon them. Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would set your hand on their mind, that they might think with a wisdom that is supernatural.
natural. Oh God, I pray that you would pour convictions into them. They may not even know how they came, but Lord, may they be so real to them that it causes them to act in a way that honors you, to decide things and legislate in a way that brings glory to you. Oh God, we ask this, that we might live in peace with all men and that people might come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that reason, oh God, we just pray that Lord, you would send a mighty revival. Lord, we're asking for revival. We're asking for you to pour out your spirit upon all of all of our country. Lord, I pray especially for Southwest Missouri. May there be a mighty move of God. Oh God, may you visit people, change people, and God, may people come to know you. Lord, we love you. God, we, we proclaim that you are king, that you reign, that you are high over everything, that Lord, you're our authority, you're our, you're our God and our king. And Lord, we're citizens of heaven. We love you and we praise your name. Come on, let's put our hands together. We're gonna bless the Lord and sing. Come on, can we lift our hands? Let's declare his reign over our government. His name is Jesus. Lord of everything. Yes, his name is Jesus. Lord of everything. Come on, he has the authority. Come on, he's in charge. His name is Jesus. You're the Lord of everything. Sits on the throne. He reigns, He reigns, He reigns forever. He reigns, He reigns, He reigns forever. Yes, He reigns, He reigns, He reigns forever. His name is Jesus, ruler of every. He reigns, He reigns, He reigns forever. Come on, sing. He reigns, He reigns, He reigns. He is high and lifted up. He reigns, He reigns, He reigns forever. His name is Jesus, ruler of everything. Come on, every voice. His name is Jesus.
trade you.